0: Talking in my demons what's happening y'all good afternoon good evening good morning good whatever time it is that you listening to me um this is chill time is will time i'm your host william moore and i'm happy to come at y'all again with a lovely lovely episode eight it's been another superb day of great weather i've been excited um relieved busy but the, the the main thing that I got to give uh, thanks for is this extremely awesome weather that we've been having here recently. Um, I've been able to get out on my bike for the past couple days um, in preparation for this uh, 300 mile bike race that I'm in in a couple months and uh, no complaints at all. It's been perfect weather for it and I'm looking forward to more of it. I'm also excited about... What else can I do I have to be excited about? Oh, yeah. I got some new wheels coming in for the bike. That is exceptional. Uh, gives me a great feeling. Um, my bike should be even faster and lighter now. I got a new mic that I'm testing out for this podcast episode as well. Um, did some research. Tried to find something that I thought was pretty cool. Um, something that I really... Uh, that I think was a, a nice little next step up. So I can sound a little bit more professional. And, you know, that's about it. I'm ready to attack the week uh, with new vigor and energy. And I hope the rest of you guys are too. What I want to do is I want to start this episode off again with another, before I get on my main topics, what I want to talk about. Um, this, This episode, I decided that I wanted to focus on art. Um, and there's some new, uh, artists that I've just kind of found out about, um, one that I've kind of heard about a little bit, but started to research his work a little bit more. And one that was completely new to me that I discovered this week that I had no idea about, And to be honest with you, I'm kind of ashamed that I didn't know about them, but that's neither here nor there. The first thing I want to do is talk about this. Uh, I want to do another venting session. And to be honest with you, I sh- what I should do is I should... I've been I noticed I've been venting a lot on my latest episodes, at least at the beginning of the episodes. I should give it some type of a nickname, um, give it its own little private se- section of uh, each podcast episode, something cool or sarcastic like, uh, I don't know, um, graduate decisions. Graduate, obviously. Implies somebody who's smart or educated, but when I'm usually venting, it's about somebody doing something stupid or making a dumb decision. So clearly that would be a a sarcastic name or something, but I don't know. I'll leave that up for uh, the listeners to decide. You guys shoot some ideas out to me about what you might think would be great uh, ideas or titles for this section. Right now I'm thinking about calling it graduate decisions. Uh, And one of them actually involves me. I got to – I have to put myself in there as somebody who made to do something stupid or made a bad decision earlier. Uh, But the first thing I want to talk about is uh, the response that uh, NBA assistant coach Becky Hammond has gotten. Um, For those who don't know, Becky Hammond is essentially a Hall of Fame women's basketball player. Um, She's right now an assistant coach for the San Antonio Spurs. She had a stellar career as a women's professional basketball player. Um, she's been coaching on the Greg Popovich for quite some time now. And she even took over and coached a couple games or halves, I believe, this year. Well, it just kinda uh hit the news wire earlier this week that uh the Milwaukee Bucks were considering giving her opportunity or interviewing her for a head coaching job. And the responses to that were absolutely utterly ridiculous. People saying stuff like, basically saying that she wasn't prepared or she wasn't ready or that she would not make a great coach in the NBA because she's a female. I think that's really stupid. I think it's dumb. There's a ton of coaches right now, coaching teams, that, (laughs) to be honest, I don't think make great coaches. And I think the players make them look like geniuses. I don't think Billy Donovan's a great NBA coach, but yet, He's got a head coaching gig with the uh, Oklahoma city thunder. My team, the New York Knicks, I don't think have made the greatest decisions coaching wise for the past couple of years. I do although I am happy that we picked up David Fisdale, who I think is, uh, is a is a, a stellar and awesome coach. He, uh, Was unceremoniously fired from the Memphis Grizzlies earlier this year. But I think everybody who knows or pays attention to professional basketball knows that he got a raw deal with that. He's also another uh, product of the Greg Popovich uh, coaching tree. So he comes from great pedigree. Mark Jackson was another person up for the head coaching job in New York for the Knicks. So was Jerry Stackhouse. But I got to say, if Becky Hammond was one of those candidates, I'd be happy if she were if she were coaching a squad as well. Now I'm happy with David Fisdale getting a job, but I think it just shows how Neolithic thinking or like caveman, cro Magnon man thinking that a lot of people still are, thinking that this woman um is not capable of being a great coach. I mean, so often we see in a world of professional sports, especially soccer NFL, NBA, coaches are just recycled. Same coaches that have been around for the past 15, 20 years get fired from one job, get hired in another one, and people are just so reluctant to give new blood, um, people who have paid their dues as assistants, opportunities to be a head coach. Who cares if she's a female? Let her coach. Let her coach. Everybody, It's unanimous that everybody thinks that Greg Popovich is a Hall of Fame type coach. Um and that he knows what he's doing. They trust his judgment. If he trusts her enough to have her on his coaching staff and let her coach a couple halves or quarters, then clearly she must and she's coached preseason games for the Spurs as well. So clearly she must know exactly what she's talking about or what she's doing. So I I would think that it'd be incumbent on people just to to, to be honest with you, shut the hell up about the fact that she's a woman and let her coach. Who cares? And to be honest, she'd probably do all those cracking jokes. She'd probably do a better job than you because I don't see you out there getting opportunities to coach a professional basketball squad or even people thinking of your name. And don't say you'd do a better job if you had the opportunity because if you could, you'd be doing it right now. But you're not. You're doing something else. So drop it and let it go. The second thing that I want to vent on is um, and complain about somebody who made a, a a graduate decision, a dumb decision, would be me. So earlier today was out before grabbing some dinner, was out doing a little bit of shopping, picking up, you know, picked up a new mic um, and also was kind of like in home goods or whatnot, picked up some, some, t- some more tea. I'm a big drink. I love ginger, turmeric tea, h- hibiscus tea. And, um, um, sorry, um, to be honest, any type of tea, but those two are probably my favorites. So anyway, it was, uh, a lady that approached us and began just carrying on conversation. Um, kind of was just talking to us. Like she knew us and, uh, long story short, you know, it lasted maybe five minutes and, you know, she went her way. When I went our way and I started thinking to myself how weird that was like the lady just kind of come up and approached kind of you know approached us and started talking and carrying on conversation and i was like who does that you know i noticed as i was doing more shopping that you know i hear some voices and you know a couple hours over it's the same lady she had stopped and stopped uh another group of people and was just talking with them kind of like giving her almost sounded like she was like giving her life story, getting information about them, kind of just talking to them like she knew them, like they had been friends forever. And again, I was thinking, I was like, oh, my God, how weird is that? You know? So anyway, go check out. And then it kind of hit me on it, to be honest, which it dawned on me. I started really thinking about the interaction I had with the lady, the interaction the other people were having with the lady and my thoughts about it. And I felt convicted. And rightfully so. And the reason I felt convicted was I thought that the lady was being weird. Well, if you really think about it, no, she wasn't. You know, we talk a lot about people in this world not being kind, not being polite, people not looking out for one another, people not being friendly. And that's exactly what this woman was doing. Who cares if she didn't know anybody there? Who cares if she was new to the city? Anything like that. She didn't ask any um, personal questions. She wasn't being rude. She was just having a a decent, trying to carry on a decent conversation with random people she met in the store. And it dawned on me, like I said, it came to me that the only reason that that is viewed as being weird or uncomfortable is because we live in a world that has made it so normal to be rude and to be out of touch with one another, and to, we have, society has normalized walking past another person and not speaking to them, not genuinely, you know, wanting to have a conversation or have any type of personal contact, that when somebody actually does something that, to be honest with you, should be commended and should be respected, we look at that as if it's it's weird. We look at it as if there's something wrong with, you know, that, that behavior or that person. And so, like I said, I had to look at that and realize like how wrong I was for, you know, for thinking that way. I've allowed the trappings of how immoral or rude that people in our everyday life are, you know, behave that when somebody To be honest with you, um, behaves in what can be said a very stellar manner, a very polite and welcoming manner that I had the nerve to think that something was wrong with this lady or she had some type of issue or how dare she. That's ridiculous. So, you know, as far as I got to vent about, like I said, I have to vent about my own behavior for the day and put myself on that, uh, graduate list of stupid, idiotic behavior. And with that, I am going to, uh, and, <laughs> um, in the, in the, the, this, that section of, uh, or this session of venting, um, and move on to the main point of what I wanted to do this episode on. But if, uh, anybody else has, uh has had any moments like this, I'd be interested in hearing what that was about and you kind of uh, um, telling me how you felt about it. At the end, whether or not you saw saw the error in your behavior or whether or not you still think that it was fine to think of another person in that manner, to think that they were out of line or weird for just trying to carry on conversation with random people. Um, and if, and if, and if uh, you would like to, please uh, send an email. Contact me through, through the podcast email, chilltimepod at gmail.com. So on to the main points or main topics of the episode today. I wanted to talk about art and specifically several new artists that I kind of just did some research about. And the number one person that I kind of really want to highlight. So it's weird. I, people who know me know, you know, I love clothes, fashion. So I subscribe to several newsletters from different brands as well, right? And one of these brands that I subscribe to their newsletter is Billionaire Boys Club. Um, so, and when I open the email, I'm just kind of scrolling through emails because I'm, I'm very like OCD and as far as like how my inbox is on my email. I have to clear that bad boy out like several times a day. I hate when I have like a whole bunch of unread emails in there. Doesn't matter even if it's junk mail. So I was looking through and I saw an email from Billionaire Boys Club. And it was talking about um, this figure um, in a collaboration with an artist named Hebrew Brantley. And the figure was called Flyboy. So I looked at it and it was pretty cool. It was uh a cartoon, cartoonish looking, inspired type of figure. Um, and everybody knows that I, you know, I enjoy that type of stuff. Uh, you know, cartoonish, comic style art. I just get a kick out of it. I think it's cool, I think it's clever, um, and I think it's a very underrated art form. So, you know, I clicked on the link and I started kinda Looking at this figure, and then I kind of googled the name Hebrew Brantley. I wanted to learn more about him, and I figure out, you know, I start looking. It pulls up his website, and I start to see all this really awesome artwork and these prints, and even some clothes um, from this guy. And I was like, wow, you know, this guy's really impressive. How did I, how did I not know about him? Um, especially considering that I'm somebody who likes to consider myself very into art and up on different artists and in the know and all that type of stuff. Well, clearly I failed when it came to this. So, um, so I looked it up and I figured out that, uh, Mr. Brantley is an Afrofuturist artist from Chicago. He's, uh, and he's been around for, for quite some time. He's kind of, he's hit. He's gotten a little bit bigger lately, um, but he's been doing work since essentially the early 2000s. And so what I learned about Mr. Brantley is, like I said, he's an afro artist from Chicago um, who draws a lot of his inspirations from Chicago's Afro-Cobra movement, movement in the 60s and the 70s. And <clears throat> much like me, um gets a lot of his inspiration from like comics or cartoons. So that's something that, you know, I obviously kinda connected with him with, seeing as how um that's a lot of inspiration from my type of artwork and just a pure um interest of mine recreationally as well. Um another thing that I learned about Mr. Brantley that I thought was super cool um is he isn't a traditionally trained artist. Um and I think that's awesome. I think in the realm of art and it's something that I also learned about the culinary world is oftentimes there are divisions or hierarchical, 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 somebody correct me on that. I'm just hammering that word, word up, um, class divisions, uh, and disciplines like art and the in the culinary world based on whether or not, somebody has been, like, traditionally or classically trained or kind of learned on their own. It's like the people who have gone through, you know, traditional schooling and and training kind of, it's almost like in some ways their work is more respected or more desired, and they're supposed to be, like, the cream of the crop because they supposedly learned from these superb institutions and, and, and great people. Now, while I don't... Um, while I don't, you know, kind of like dismiss that, I do think that there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of credence that goes to that, or there's a lot of respect that should be given to those folks. There's also something to be said about people who achieve, um, great heights and a certain skill level who haven't gone through this training to learn in certain institutions. They've, in essence, had to do a lot of learning on their own with no direction or do a lot of learning purely off observation. And in a way, I think it can be said or you can make the extrapolation that it's some of these uh, chefs and artists may be a bit more creative. And the reason I say that, and I'm not saying that that is true all across the board, but the reason I'm, I'm making that statement is because they aren't bound to the constraints or, or the conditioning of the learning that they picked up along the way from, you know, very strict from the very, you know, the strict structure from the institutions that they have learned their discipline um, or from the the instructors, the strict instruction and structure that they've gotten from their teachers. So that's even why I, I, I can be even more impressed with the artist or the uh, the chef who hasn't you know learned anything from attending any type of school or or learning directly from a teacher and 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 achieve great heights. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should go off and do this. I still respect those who have attended institutions or learned from great teachers, but all the same, all I'm saying is I don't think that there is that it justifies any class division and any one person style of work or whether or not they learn from one on their own, or they learn, you know, under the tutelage of another, you know, great work should just be respected all the way around. That's, that's how I feel about that. And I guess that's what I'm getting at. Do this, uh, long drawn out, you know, explanation. Um, so anyways, uh, back to Mr. Brantley. Um, you know, before he became a mainstream artist, he even used to sell T-shirts on college campuses. I kind <clears> of <throat> was still doing some research on him and looking at a lot of his awesome work. And I found an interview with him on what is that? Jeez, um, the Breakfast Club. It was a Breakfast Club interview. Um and angela lee and Charlemagne the god or whatever everybody knows how i feel about him i kind of feel like that dude's a clown but anyways um it was a decent little 20 minute interview or whatnot and um he talked about how he used to sell t-shirts on on a campus of a college with a uh, a dude named dj drama uh, which i thought was super interesting So this dude, I mean, you know, he knows what the grind is as as well. He didn't just, you know, pop up on a scene, you know, getting paid a lot and people loving his stuff. Like the dude started, you know, he started small and he started not even really in the medium of, uh, these, uh, paintings or whatnot. It seemed like he really started off and, you know, kind of like doing little, you know, prints for fashion design. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, his, his artwork itself uh, is, a, is a lot of amazing pop art motifs, um, and through his pop art, you know, he displays a lot of uncommon views of what a hero or protagonist is, which I think is pretty awesome, and I think um, it's good to challenge people's views on what <clears throat> the hero and the villain is because... Much like I've talked about before on previous episodes of this podcast, the media does a great job of conditioning people's views of what heroes and villains are. And oftentimes the way the media packages that information or packages prepackages those views for people, it often have you um, mislabeling people. People who are the heroes, you look at them at the villain, or people who are the victims, you look at them as predators, and vice versa. So I really appreciate that about his work, um, and it's something that I would like to see in a lot more people's work. Um, personally, I think that's why I have always, when it comes to comic books or cartoons or whatnot, I've always really kind of been drawn to the villain. Because I feel like I've always seen, especially, you know, villains with depth. I've always kind of seen how they got to where they got to. If you, you know, take the time to learn about any these, you know, cartoon or comic book villains, you'll learn that a lot of them, their motives actually lie um, in good intentions. Either it be love or wanting to clean up the community or changed the way the world is or they've been scarred or bruised somehow and somehow along the way they got tired of fighting the good fight or fighting along um, everybody else's rules of how to get things done because things weren't coming together the right way and so they then go to extreme measures to reset the scale so to speak they go through extreme measures to right the wrongs that they've experienced or they see in the world And when you think about it that way, you have to wonder, like, are they really a villain? Are they really, you know, heartless? Are they really cowards? You know, I've heard people from time to time to say that, you know, the villain or the bad person, you know, they're a coward. You know, I beg to differ. I think villains often, even though we might not like what they do or what they, uh, or have their other methods to do so, I would like to think villains, are actually, people with a lot of courage. And this is why I say that. Think about it this way. It's easy to be the hero. Everybody loves admiration and for everybody to love them and like them. Whilst would people always be, you know, wanting to be have their own reality show, always taking selfies and posting 9,000 pictures to Instagram and Twitter and this that, and other. People want attention. People like to be liked. People like to be loved. That's why I've made a comment before that haters are just people that have an extreme desire to be loved. That's what they truly are. And the villain does what they do, will, will do what they do, knowing that everybody's going to hate them, knowing that there's no love at the end of their actions, knowing that they will be eyes they'll be the Bane... Of people's existence. But yet they still carry on in full belief that what they're doing <clears throat> is right and that they are the ones who need to be doing it. I don't care what you say, that's courage, yo. It is. And nobody said that courage was only the courage was only reserved for people doing the right thing. You need to think about that. And so that's like, once again, that's why I you know, I like that angle of Mr. Brantley's work where he's challenging people's views of her- heroes or heroines and, and the protagonist. His most popular figure, the figure that I actually saw that drew my attention through that email um, that I, and that I also see depicted in a lot of his work is the, the flyboy. Um, little black kid with goggles on like an old fashioned world war one or two flight cap and, uh, a bandana tied around his neck in jeans. And he also has one of a female called the fly girl. Um, I think they're dope. I think they're, it was expensive too. It was like 200 some bucks, but you know what? It was a dope little mini, uh, sculpture statue. If, if it wasn't sold out, if I can find one, I would definitely get it. Um, it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was impressive. I just, like I said, his work really captures my attention. He said, Mr. Brantley said that, um, his inspiration for creating Flyboy, he said he created Flyboy because he noticed, um, over time that there were no people of color de- depicted in popular cartoon space. Um, he could see, you know, he always saw Mickey Mouse, SpongeBob, etc., but nothing explicitly for kids of color or people of color to look to. And so that was one of his main inspirations for coming up with this flyboy figure. Um, and once again, y'all know I'm all for uh, more representation for people of color and more avenues for especially kids of color to see themselves in different ways for them to excel. Anything positive like that. Um, Hebrew has exhibited tons of has has had exhibits in tons of places, um, <clears throat> mainly his native Chicago, um, New York, London, uh, and he's also been in Art Basel in Miami. And if I'm not mistaken, he was saying that that's actually where he got his big break. Um, and I think in Art Basel in Miami, Jay Z had actually saw one of his pieces and bought one of his pieces, and. You know, he was kind of just, you know, just showing people around, and he kind of blew up then. Um, and so that's awesome. I would be proud too. You know, if somebody like Jay Z noticed my work and was like, "Yo, um, let me let me cop that, let me get that," and then we, as we know, you know, people tend to people tend to be heavily influenced by celebrities. So although. People before may have seen his work and thought it was cool, but wouldn't want to spend money on it just to be somebody who says, "Yo, I bought the same type of piece or same work from the same artist as Jay Z did." That made some some of those people before who might have been might have been trepidatious about purchasing his work before all of a sudden want to jump all over his work now. Um, and I say good for him. I really say good for him. And I would love for somebody to do that for me, you know, notice my work on my podcast or whatever like that. That would be so dope. Um, so, I, you know, kudos to him on that. Um, even though I just noticed, you know, I, you know, I kind of came into knowledge about him with his collaboration with Billionaire Boys Club. He's collaborated with other brands as well. Um, Hub- uh, Hublot, Nike, and Adidas. Um, so this collaboration isn't his uh, first go around. Um, as I said before, he's been doing, uh, collabs, you know, and, um, since 2007 in his native Chicago. Um, and he's also got an awesome website. Um, I would say that anybody interested in checking out more of his work, um, go to com, h e b r u b r a n t l e y H E B R U B R A N T L E Y.com and check it out uh he's like i said he's got some awesome work there he stuff is it's 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 you know it's it's it can be pretty expensive i mean for the common person you know it's like a lot of great art it's hard for the common person to to afford i've talked about that before on a podcast you know um but um all that being said, it's definitely, you know, cheaper than a Picasso, I'll tell you that much. So if you so, so somebody really looking to support an artist of color and really get into some cool new type of stuff, yo, check out the uh, Hebrew Brantley's work at hebrewbrantley.com. And uh I think you'd be pretty happy with it. Um and the and you know, that kind of makes me want to, you know, kind of segue and talk about like the place of artists um, in our society today. Um, like I said, I kind of just learned by learned about uh, Hebrew Brantley by accident. Um, but as I really kind of think about it on a grand scheme of the grand in the grand scheme of things, personally, I think it's a great time for artists, um, especially black artists. Um, art is. Is 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 heavily influenced by life. I believe there's an age-old saying that goes, you know, uh, or a question that goes, does does life imitate art or art imitate life? Um, personally, I think it's both. You know, it's that same, it's that, it's like the question, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Um, I think they both feed off of each other. Um, and with all the political and social social tar- turmoil going on in the world today. Um, for better or for worse, it's been a breeding ground for expression, um, creativity and the arts as a whole, especially in the black community. You're seeing a lot of creativity kind of be on full display because people people are people are happy, people are sad, people are frustrated, people are going through a lot and that expression those feelings have to come out. Some people through it through do it do it through fighting, some people you know, do it through, you know, working out. Um, but some people, the creative ones, do it through writing, do it through poetry, do it through music, do it through visual art, sculpture, whatever be the case. And we're really starting to see that. So I th- it's almost like the one positive thing that has come from how crappy the world is, is, is behaving right now is the art scene. Like it's really starting to, it's either really starting to blow up or it's always been there. And we are just actually starting to really give its respect, give it its, its due and really pay attention to it. Um, I'd like to think of it as uh, almost as if uh, Newton's third law is in play. And that third law is for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Well, when it comes to arts as well, I think that that's, that's, that's surely the case. Because over the last decade or, decade or so, We've seen the federal government cut funding to arts in schools and in communities, um, less emphasis put on the arts or creativity in the professional world, not unless you're in a creative field like graphic design or music or something like that. And that all those things, along with the you know political unrest, I feel like has forced uh, a sort of renaissance. Um, and, and this really isn't unprecedented. Uh, we've seen it in Italy in the 14th century. And also here in America, with the black community in the, during the Harlem Renaissance, you know, during, you know, often during periods after dark ages or dark times, or times of struggle, you see times of you know periods of great achievement, uh, thinking, um, and creativity, um, and that's what the, that's that's where the word you know this Renaissance comes from. We may in fact be Uh, be experiencing and living through another renaissance right now and not even be knowing it. I mean, look at some of the great movies and things that have come out. Some of the, you know, the great films, the great books and writing and things that are coming about, you know, art. I mean, just keep eye on that. We, like I said, we may very well in the next 15 to 20 years, look back on this time and say, dude, that was the renaissance, the first renaissance of uh, the 21st century. And if it is, I am proud to say that I'm living during this time. And I also hope that, uh, one day I can be one of those people that they can talk about who's made an impact during this Renaissance period or do something to contribute. Um, that would be something awesome that I could tell grandkids or family members and just something nice to hang up, um, hang up on the mantle. You know what I mean? Um, but this for sure, um, I feel like is a, you know, is a, is a great resurgence and an achievement and activity. Um, so I'll move on to another artist that i kind of want to highlight. And I got to see one of his pieces in the, uh, Minneapolis Institute of art this past weekend. Um, and that is, uh, Takashi Murakami. Um, some of you might already know about, know a great deal about him. I've heard about him. I've seen some of his things. Um, but kind as I was doing this little, you know, doing my research on uh, Mr. Brantley and looking at more stuff, you know, I have this app on my phone called Artsy. I call it the uh, poor man's way of collecting art. You know, I think if you, if you can't afford to buy really, really nice art, A, you make your own, <laughs> and B, you download that app on, on Apple. Um, and then what it does is pretty exceptional, actually. It allows you to follow s- several different, you know, may- whatever type of artist is out there. And it always posts um, examples of their work. And you can like their work. And their work can kind of go to your own little um, folder of art that was cool. Or you can actually, by tapping on it, if it's for sale, you can purchase their artwork. And there's even a little uh, part of the app where you can click a button and it'll show you the, the dimensions of that painting or that sculpture and show you what it would look like on a wall or anything like that. It's actually pretty cool. So if anybody, um, is looking for a, uh, you know, a cool new app, um, it's something centered around art, go to artsy, look for the artsy app, a R T S Y. Um, in that Apple app store. Um, it's super cool. um, But back to Mr. Murakami, Um, he works a lot with painting and sculpture, and he's also had his hand in a lot of commercial media, such as fashion, merchandise, and animation, which um, is like something I feel like we're seeing more of when it comes to visual artists. Um, and obviously once again, you, as you probably could figure it out, it's something that definitely grabbed my attention. Um, I also read that he coined the term super flat and that's actually used to describe his work, which describes the aesthetic or, or the Japanese artistic tradition, um, and the nature of a lot of post-war Japanese culture and society. It's, to be honest, I know it when I see it, but it's hard for me to explain it. So, um, you're not going to find a great definition coming from me right now on this episode. I would just say Google it and look it up. Um, but it's actually pretty cool. It has its own distinct kind of look or feel to it. And I think it's, I think it's cool. Um, he's Mr. Murakami is also the president and the founder of... Kaikai Co, which is Kaikai Kai Company, which is um, his own company where he also manages um, some other young artists out there, which is which is cool. You know, it's an artist kind of um, willing to be. Be a manager of sorts and kind of deliver some tutelage to some, you know, you know some new up and coming protégés. I think that's cool. I think it's cool anytime. A veteran in any type of field of work is willing to not kind of be so closed off from, a, you know, the next generation coming up and kind of take on some apprentices, at the, as you know, so to speak, and help develop them. Um, I wish we would see a lot more of that, especially in the fashion industry, fashion industry, because I would love to be an apprentice for a tailor or a shoe cobbler. I think it'd be something super cool. Um, and a great way for me to learn both of those trades before I was to go off and, uh, attempt to, um, bring to life some of my own personal designs. Um, so that's definitely something that I would look forward to and I would enjoy doing. And I think it's pretty impressive of Mr. Uh, Murakami. He is also the subject or, or author of like more than five books. Which I also think is cool, especially of a a modern-day artist, that people are, you know, putting books out there, you know, about them. Because, you know, I personally, I'm at the bookstore all the time. And I often go to to the art section as well as, like, you know, the space section, you know, history, stuff like that, culture, social science, all that type of stuff. And and I don't see a lot of books on current or living artists these days. So the fact that he has quite a few out there, I think it's pretty cool. Um, and as I was saying before, I really find myself drawn to the, the, the animated style of art that he creates. Um, one, uh, like I said, I kind of seen it like this giant, like mouse type of figure at the Institute of art this weekend that I, uh, took a picture of and I thought was super cool. um. He himself has actually been producing art and putting on exhibitions since 1989 in his native Japan. Um, actually, I think one of his first exhibitions was in Tokyo itself, um, and he's and he's considered now to be one of the truly amazing contemporary artists. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you are somebody who's just getting into art or interested in art, definitely he is somebody to to uh, to check out. Um, Takashi Murakami and Mr. Hebrew Brantley, um, look those guys up. If you can afford it, get some of that work, you know, support. Um, if you're on that, uh, poor man's collector's stream, (laughs) artsy, like I said, or, or become an artist yourself, create your own stuff. Ain't nothing like having some of your own pieces hanging up in your house too. You know, I've, I've got that myself. I've made, you know, I've hung up some of my own pieces and then I've created some things and given them to my mom. So, um, that's a proud feeling to have too. So don't be afraid to create your own stuff and let those creative juices kind of flow. Um, talking about these two artists also kind of wanted me, what made me want to give the listener a little bit of an idea of my personal taste in art. Um, just to kind of give them a little bit more of an idea of why I liked those two specific artists. Um, Well, for one, I guess if I was going to give a very high level view of my taste in art, I would say it's a very, um, it can be somewhat all over the board. Um, I'm definitely somebody who will go with any piece of art that I feel like moves me or catches my attention. To me, that's what art is all about. Um, Seeing pure expression of somebody else's emotions, the way they see the world, the way they're feeling about the world how they want to change the world, whatever statements they're trying to make, and how you if it catches your attention that means almost means it was meant for you. Cuz at some given, you know, some point in time you too must have been feeling, thinking or wanting to do those same things. Um I um I'm also heavily influenced by any piece of art or or, or art that has characteristics that derive from some type of um, allusion to space, animation, comics, anything that's extremely colorful or fluid, like a, like really like a really psychedelic type of view or piece of art. Um, I think that's why I have a, a, a real affinity for surrealism, because um, surrealism is almost like looking at some psychedelic dreams in a way. Um, for some of you who are not well-versed in surrealism or art itself, I know a lot of people know who Salvador Dali is, even a lot of people who aren't really even into art. So if you don't know much about art or artists, but you know, you've heard the name Salvador Dali or seen any of his work, that is a great example of what surrealism is, um, and, and you know what? And that's something that I think is actually kind of interesting or confusing. The fact that I have an affinity for surrealism or I really, you know, I really enjoy things that seem to bend reality in a fun and provocative way because, because I'm a person that like, I like for things to make sense, and I tend to go with, I like a lot of structure in some ways, even if it seems like it's not structured to other people, like there's a structure to the way that I look at things or I like things. Um, and like I said, surrealism seems to really bend reality in fun, provocative ways. Um, and, and, it, and it just makes sense to me. Psychedelic stuff really makes sense to me. Um, maybe it's because I'm a person of extremes. I either run hot or I run cold. There's no in-between. So it's either got to be really structured and clean and in its place, or it's got to be all over the place and bright and loud and, you know, no, you don't know where it begins or ends. And so I don't, you know, I just don't know. I think that that's something that I notice about myself that's really really kind of confusing or maybe interesting, you know, that I can kind of find order in chaos. And like I said, other than the fact that I'm a person of extremes, I myself really don't know why, but that's just what it is. Um, so yeah, so this, uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up today, but, um, this has been episode eight. I want to kind of give you kind of wanted to get off, you know, some politics and stuff like that for a while and kind of talk about something a little bit more fun and show another one of the other dimensions of the type of person I am and what I like. I'm not all just politics and social justice. I do love art and sports and fashion and all those type of things. And so I just kind of wanted to highlight that. I wanted to highlight the fact that I was excited that I just discovered or not discovered he was already clearly he was already out there and he's made a name for himself. But I have just learned about a new artist um this past weekend and I'm definitely gonna begin to follow his work hardcore here, you know, from now on, along with uh Mr. Murakami. Um and I hope you guys too do as well. So um with that being said, I hope you guys have a great uh, remainder of your week. I hope you get, you know, have a great morning, have a great night. Whatever, like I, Once again, like I said, whatever time this is that you're listening to to this program. And um, if you ever have any critiques, any things you want to add, any questions you want to ask me, any ideas about another episode, what you want to hear about, once again, please send me an email at chilltimepod at gmail.com. And I will be more than happy to answer any questions or talk about anything you guys want to talk about. With that being said, I'm going to holler at y'all later. Take it easy. And I'm out. The barking dog. No, never mind the barking dog. Never mind the barking dog.